welcome to the Hearth and Hedge podcast. My name is Amberly, and I'm so pleased to have you today. Today's guest is a maker and teacher of the sacred arts, a practitioner of Jewish magic, and most, most recently, an oracle deck creator. Please welcome Katira. Welcome. Thank you for joining me today. Hello. Thank you for having me. Why don't you take a few moments to just introduce yourself? Sure. Although that was a great intro. That was a nice, concise introduction. Um, so I'm, my name is Katsira. Um, I'm, so I grew up, let's see, I'm from Massachusetts originally. I grew up in Massachusetts, just south of Boston. But I've been actually in Washington, D.C. for the majority of my, I was about to say my adult life, but officially now the majority of my life. Um, I've been here for 20 years. I'm going to say more than 25 years. Time keeps progressing. So I stopped at like 25 plus years. Um, yeah, so uh, I am, uh, as you said, I am I am a Jewish practitioner of magic. Um, I'm an ordained Kohenet, which is a uh, Jewish priestess. Uh, it's about a 15-plus-year-old movement now. And I'm also an ordained, uh, ordained as a celebrant from another community that I co-led in Washington, D.C. for about 10 years. I, let's see, anything else exciting? I have a fabulous husband and two house rabbits. <laughs> Um, Nadja and Laszlo, points that people know uh, Nadja and Laszlo's names came from, and a house full of ridiculously magical creatures, including an enchanted stove, um, which is either enchanted or glitching, and I prefer thinking it's enchanted. <laughs> I was going to say that. Like, it's just, I always prefer just going with this enchanted. I love that. I love that. <laughs> so are you drinking anything exciting today? Mm. So uh, I I tend to have a glass of cup of tea of some kind attached to my hand at all times. And I, I am one of those people who thinks about, like, what type do I want to drink for something like this? So, yes, this is a glass, uh, a cup of um, sticky rice oolong. So oh. it's an oolong tea that's been, I don't know how exactly how to do that, but, like, it was processed with uh, sticky rice. So it has this very malty you know, the smell of sticky rice or the flavor, like it has that kind of aroma on it. I went with that I'm one today. Right down. <laughs> I need to try this immediately. <laughs> um, how about reading? What are you reading right now? Anything exciting? Uh, I don't know if it's exciting, but I'm always reading something. Uh, yeah, so I'm currently reading a, a novel called uh, The Women Could Fly by uh, Megan Giddens, and it does happen to be a Huiba witchy size, so there's that. Um, that's a novel, and then I have two other, I'd say, spiritual texts that I'm reading right now. So one is uh, called, it's like the least exciting name, this whole practice, they make it sound so unsexy, um, A Responsible Life, The Spiritual Path of Musar by Ira Stone, which is a Jewish spiritual practice that I, I've engaged with for a while now. And another one, which is really annoyingly scholarly, but it's really fascinating, um, called Time and Difference in Rabbinic Judaism. Uh, and that's by Sarit Katan Gribbis. And it, it really grapples with how how you live in a society where your calendar doesn't jive with the dominant calendar. There's a lot of that. It's going back into the Roman era and carrying it forward. And it's just sort of a how time exists in different levels for people, the role that calendars actually play in creating realities. Um, it's just a, it's, I, I find it nerdy and fascinating. 
I love nerdy and fascinating. <laughs> it's my favorite. <laughs> um, do you have a favorite occult or religious text that you love that's maybe been the most influential or... Okay, I'm glad you warned me you were asking this one. I'm going to say it right now. I'm looking at a list of eight I wrote down that I was trying to figure out, like, what I would answer. So one that I think, it's funny, it's like trying to figure out, like, the one. So the one, it's not even on the list, but it is the one that started me down this path, is actually one called um, Jewish Magic and Superstition. Uh, It is, again, a bit of a scholarly text. It's not a how-to. It was written in the 1930s. Uh, It's the one that a lot of folks uh, that I've met who are on similar paths stumbled across. And I found a copy of it in my great aunt's uh, bookshelves when I was 22, 23 years old. Um, And it gets into uh, Ashkenazi, Eastern European Jewish magic of a very particular time period. Like it's really specific. So that certainly started me on the way. Um, Let me see. A couple other quick ones worth mentioning. I feel like I have to shove this one out. Um, Return to the Place, The Magic Meditation and Mystery of the Sefer Yetzirah. Uh, It was written by my my teacher and my friend, Jill Hammer. And it it is a radical rethinking of the translation and the function of uh, a Jewish mystical text called the Sefer Yetzirah, which is a... Uh, predates Kabbalah, like it's it's much much older, um, and and Jill Yeila did an amazing uh, translation of it, as well as understanding it as ritual. So she unpacks the entire book as ritual. It's really mind boggling. Um, wow. And let me see, I do one more from my list. Okay, new one, but it completely changed how I thought about something. Novels. I have a lot of novels that are on my list of like occult texts that I love because they mm-hmm. get in there. And this is um, Babel by, it's R.F. Chang. I want to get that wrong. R.F. Kwan. Ooh, apologies. I should have checked that earlier. It's R.F. Kwan. Um, it is uh, uh, alternative speculative magical fiction uh, looking at concept of like text magic and the, the idea that just stuck in my head from it is um, the idea that magic exists um, in the space between the attempt at translating two words. Like it's that, that wow. space in the middle. If you take like an English word and a word from another language and you try to bridge the gap in the meanings, which I do a lot between English and Hebrew, um, mm-hmm. it's that space in the middle is actually how magic happens. And I just blew my mind conceptually. So I'll throw that one in. <laughs> that sounds great. That sounds really interesting. Um, how about, do you have a favorite mundane book or book series? Yeah. Um, okay. That one, I think if I, anyone who knows me will know the answer to this question. I would say uh, Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler is an absolute go-to. Um, lately, Becky Chambers um, is the author, of, and she writes the Wayfarer series, which is really beautiful science fiction, very modern, and uh, Nende Okorafor, Nende Okorafor, who, uh, her Binti trilogy, which is how I met her work. Um, love, 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 love. Nice. So you're more of a magic and, and science fiction kind of 
readers that I tend to go, I'm all over the place, but I tend to go in that direction. Mm -hmm. A lot of speculative, I mean, I feel like a lot of witches land in that space, but um, not necessarily, but yeah, a lot of uh, science fiction, speculative fiction, alternative history, um, every once in a while, like some literary thing that's really intense, but (laughs) yeah, I can't go wrong with some, some little literary fiction, I think. Exactly. Barbara yeah, Pym. That's, I, uh, if I'm really looking for like chick lit, although this is like pure spinster lit, actually, it's truly spinster lit. Um, Barbara Pym, uh, she was referenced in another book about uh, what, what what bunch of uh, influential women eat is like the concept because they do like food. And she uses food as a character practically in her book. And I, I had to read the first one. And then I read it like, okay, except for the very frustrating casual racism of the time and anti-Semitism, which I have to like quickly read past. um, uh, It's absolutely fascinating. And her use of food is really, really, I just, I find it, every time she gets to a description, I'm like, oh, wait, we're having a moment. What are we eating? What are we cooking? (laughs) This text, this is plot setting. So, and somebody told me, um, Barbara Pym fans are called Pymphomaniacs. And I was like, oh, that's hilarious. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, do you want to share a little bit about your practice? Sure. Um, so I guess the, the, the place to start is that I'm Jewish. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of folks, you know, people who say use the term Jewish are sometimes people who are raised Jewish, but are actively neo-pagan now or Wiccan anywhere in that space. Like there can be a lot of room of where people are. And like, I'm, I'm Jewish. Um, I did get my magical start in the pagan community. Um, and I remember uh, years ago now saying, these Anglo-Celtic gods don't talk to me. And they're like, maybe it's because you're Jewish. I'm like, oh shit, okay. Um, <laughs> and they, they held me, Magic Belly Number 9 was the name of the co- the working group, the coven, and like they held me through that and helped me like really find my way. Um, and it's funny, when I start to like write these things down or say them, I'm like, okay, so I practice earth-based magical Judaism with a little side dish of cyber and what I would call Tahomic magic, which is my flavor of chaos magic. Um, so it's, it's kind of a, it's a little bit of a mix. Um, it's very, in mostly, it's funny. I start saying it's very this. I think I can take what's not in there out more easily than what's in there. So I don't tend to do a lot of planter uh, herb magic. Not so much my thing. Um, I don't call on deities, energies, archetypes, outside of what I would call the Jewish pantheon, for lack of a better word, although like Jews would be freaking out that I use the word pantheon. Um, gets nervous, but uh, we have a lot of names for God. We have a lot of deity names that are, are all theoretically one, as well as angels, ancestors. Like we have a lot of people we can call on here. Um, I tend to be very text, language, sigil-based in my magic. Um, as well as physical craft work. So there's a lot of uh, encoding of it into my art um, that I do, my embroidery work that I do um, along the way. And I also love city magic, 
right? Chris, Christopher Penzak was a big influence in my early magical days. I love urban city magic. I live in the city. And, but I'm also as likely to use bits of magic or text found in like the Talmud, the Torah, or Jewish folk magic, right? I, I'm all of that together into, at least for me, my current practice. Um, I guess the last still falls under Jewish. Um, but there's a Jewish spiritual practice called Musar, which is very foundational for me now. The most boring translation is ethics. Um, <laughs> gotta love the enlightenment for making shit as boring as possible. Um, <laughs> but the more I studied it and I practiced it, it's both a spiritual foundation to make sure that um, I am being as ethical a person as I can be under the idea, like, you know, my word is my bond, right? Magic is our language, at least for me. So I need mm -hmm. to be acting as authentically and with as much integrity as possible. But the more I worked with it, I'm like, oh, it's just this magic, y'all. This is, this is changing reality at will. Like, <laughs> this is the basic definition. They just wouldn't like me saying that. They being the ancestral creature beings who created it. But, uh, and many modern folks who currently practice it out of more normative Judaism. Right. So I don't know. There you go. There's my 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 fast, possibly most concise I've ever managed <laughs> about this. Well that was that was pretty concise, actually. <laughs> there was a lot there though too. <laughs> do you have a practice that you do daily? I do. I'm I'm I will definitely blame my Virgo-ness on this, but um, I am somebody who um, I find power in the re repetitive practice, not that it has to be, but like having something consistent that really grounds me, um, I find really powerful. So I have um, a morning prayer practice that I do that starts uh, most days with about 10, so there's an incantation that I say in the morning. I'm actually in the pro, I won't say too much about it, but I'm working a year long spell. Speaking of things that take some time. So I have an incantation, a little bit of work I do that begins and ends the practice with that. Uh, then a 10 minute meditation sit. Um, and it's 10 minutes because of the 10 directions in the Sefer Yesera. So I, Sometimes I'm just sitting silently. Sometimes I'm repeating them. I have hand arm movements that I do sometimes with them. Um, it's a way of sort of, as I wake up, the reweaving of creation by calling in these 10 directions of, of creation that, uh, if from that text. And then I do my, my version of, uh, what's called shacharit. It's a morning prayer practice in Jewish tr uh, teachings and traditions generally done in a group we're very group oriented um as a people but i'm not leaving my house at that hour to figure out how to do this with other humans and i don't want to honestly like i just don't want to um right. so i do my version of those prayers and then i also um i end my day it's about a minute and a half but i end my day uh saying what's called the the kriyat or bedtime shema um, the shema is a central prayer in jewish teachings and it occurred to me as I was thinking about that in the context of talking to you today, um, this bedtime prayer, which is a protective prayer, like there's a whole thing, mm -hmm. somehow made its way into many pagan communities and is, called, is known in the pagan community as the lesser banishing rite of the pentagram. Oh. <laughs> it's our bedtime prayer. There's a lot of this. This is the weirdest thing when I landed in the Jewish community years, in the Jewish, in the pagan community years ago. It's like, 
you're you're using what now? And I have an old I have an old friend who's actually a gardenarian. He's he was raised Jewish, Orthodox even. He's a uh, I believe Orthodox, uh, and he's a gardenarian high priest. He died laughing. He told me the first time he heard people doing this is like a giant thing. He's like, really bedtime prayer. Um, and he would start doing it in Hebrew to just mess with his community. Like, he's like, oh, I see that, and I can raise you how we do this in Hebrew. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's uh, so that's sort of the, the going to bed is uh, uh, Michael on my right, Gabriel on my left, Oriel in front, Raphael behind, and then we say Shekhinah above my head, and I say below my feet, and then recite the prayer of the Shema um, afterwards. So with a few other little quick prayers that go in with that, but about two minutes while I fall asleep. Wow, that's so funny that it's just <laughs> interesting how things do that though, you know? They and, and people don't even realize it. I, they don't. <laughs> and there's a lot I get torn. I know some younger folks who are very annoyed, if not downright angry with the, the pagan and the magical communities as what they see as appropriation. Um, of a lot of Jewish texts, a lot of Jewish prayer, because a lot of the uh, Victorian era folks um, would just take from anywhere. And so they, they well, in the middle of eras of intense anti-Semitism, were like, this is a great bit of text. We're going to borrow that now. And it is interesting because I know some teachers in the pagan community who do an exceptional job about teaching like that this didn't come out of nowhere. They're like, this came out of these contexts and they teach it and others don't, they just will write in the book that this, you know, this is called the lesser, lesser banishing rite of the pentagram, not this came out of Jewish liturgy. Like, right. So it's a bit of a challenge sometimes. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. I just um, interviewed um, my friend Summer, who is, in the Cherokee Nation, and mm-hmm. we were discussing the crossover of, you know, the Cherokee beliefs with the Celtic beliefs and how they kind of meshed together when, you know, us whites came along and did what we do best, I guess. <laughs> These things do, unfortunately, <laughs> seem to happen. Yeah, and some yeah. of it is that there's a lot of natural overlap. Like, one of the ones that mm-hmm. blows me away is... um uh, hoodoo out of African American folk magic, right? Hoodoo practice. They uh, there's and it's moved into a lot of other forms of magic now. But the uses of psalms, mm-hmm. right, in magic, that actually yeah. comes from a Jewish text called Shemush Tehillim, uses of psalms. Um, and so it's really yeah. interesting, and the overlap of a lot of Jewish folk magic and hoodoo, and mm-hmm. the fact that the folks who supplied a lot of the materials like the pharmacies were actually jewish pharmacists who sold mm-hmm. sold things for folks who are practitioners of hoodoo um so it's a you never know sometimes it's done really well sometimes it's uh, not done so well right right <laughs> um okay what are three things that you always have to have on your altar all right, that was hard. I did the removal of things again. Like, what would I take off? So something ancestral. Um, there's always something ancestral on there. I will almost always have some kind of a candle. And uh, I have, and now I'm going to lean over this way uh, so you can at least see what I'm showing you. But basically, it is a wand slash lighter. 
Oh, yes. I, I love this those. thing. Right? It's like a USB. It's so silly, but I love this thing because channel is a little tiny taser is what it actually is, I think. But um, it is sort of amazing. And I something so truly magical about the use of electricity with it and it running forward. So yeah, there's always something ancestral. I'm, I'm a candle person. It's also very Jewish, very magical in general. Um, and then this has become sort of a must have uh, on my, um, my altar now because it functions on several levels. That's awesome. I love that. <laughs> uh, okay. I'm, I'm sure this one's a hard one too, because it is for everybody. If you could meet any wit in the past or in the present, who would it be? Oh, my God. All right. I'm going to go present, and then uh, then maybe I'll do one from the past because I have a list, of course, in front of me. So um, uh, Pam Grossman uh, is uh, definitely – I'm a fan of her work, Witch Wave podcast, a couple of books out there. Uh, definitely a fan. We're about the same age. Like, so there's a lot of references and other things in there. She has to stop mentioning lipsticks she likes because I end up buying all of them. It's annoying. Um <laughs> So she was definitely one of the first folks that came to mind. Um, in that same vein, Zoe Jacoby, who runs uh, Jewitches.com and the Jewitches Instagram handle. Mm -hmm. On the flip side, I'm literally old enough to be her mother, I've figured out. Um, <laughs> painful. I think I probably know her mother in the past. I keep meaning to ask. Um, but I, I'm just very impressed by her her presence, her magic, like her knowledge at a very young age. And I can't believe mm -hmm. I'm saying someone like 23 is really young, but like to me, that feels pretty young now. Um, right. Yeah. So those are two, I'd say present ones. And then I have a really obscure like Jewish reference, but I'm going to go with the one people may have heard of, which is not a Jewish reference. Um, and I really thought that uh, Pixie, Pamela Coleman Smith, um, I was like, how could I not want to meet the person who actually drew the Smithwaite tarot? Um, right. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> but it's just right or wait. <laughs> yeah, I refuse to call it right or wait. I won't. I, know. <laughs> I won't. Especially because if you read his text and you look at her art, half the time he's describing something that is not in that card. She was like, no, no, no. That's what was happening here. That's funny. So speaking of decks, you have a deck. I do. I do. Tell us about your deck. Uh, I'm very excited. I'm pulling it out. So it's like right here. Um, so I recently launched the Kickstarter for this. It's the second edition uh, of the Eight At Netivote Wisdom Oracle. And it is uh, an Oracle deck. I love being in a space. I don't have to explain Oracle decks to people. Catholic people ask me. And then I'm like, do we know what tarot is? Like, okay. Um, Carol, but not. Um, and anyway, it is, it's based in Jewish teachings. It's very specifically based in uh, teachings and my experience working with a concept um, that we're taught in Kohenet community and our training to become a Kohenet called uh, the Neti Vote. And the Neti Vote, it simply translates as pathways, right? It's, it's a path. And um, the way we work with it as is 13 pathways of the divine, mm -hmm. primarily as they've manifested historically through um, women 
or through work women were known for in Jewish teachings. And so we do a lot of work with those. And I, I was, I entered the community almost 17 years ago now. I was ordained, you know, 15, no, three years, so 14 or so years ago, I guess now. Um, so I've been working with this concept for a while, for a long, for a while, not a long time, but a while. And um, uh, really felt a calling. I think it's a lot of folks when you're working with some sort of magic, art magic or otherwise, you don't feel fully in control of it, which for me was definitely the case. Um, and the deck, so it works with these 13 neti vote or archetypes. I don't like archetype as much, but it's also a helpful shorthand for folks. And they're organized into four suits. Um, we'll go back to I'm a Virgo. Even if I'm doing an Oracle deck, I have to invent a structure for it. Like I like structure. <laughs> um, so each of the 13 neti vote appear in four different ways. So it's vessels, which are embodiments, and those are the cards you actually see uh, people, uh, primarily see uh, the people in them, uh, vessels, offerings, allies, and gifts. And so uh, with the gifts, gifts are what flow to you from the divine. Those are divine gifts that we're given to work with spiritually. Offerings is what flows from us, out of us. It's it's the tools of our magic, of our practice, of our sacred service, and then vessels, our embodiments, and then allies, um, as might be clear, are sort of, pl they're plants, they're animals, and they're places. So they're sources of support and power. Wow, this sounds like such an amazing deck. Um, so tell us about your, your Kickstarter. Is it, is it still open? It is. Um, it absolutely is. We've got about 15 days left, uh, and I'm, I'm honestly over the moon right now because the first edition funded in the last moments of the very last day. It was it barely <laughs> scared, whew, made me work for it. Um, and this one funded in five days. Um, oh, wonderful! Mind-boggling. Like I could not. I truly couldn't believe that that was. Um, it was a five days. And I was like, oh my goodness. I have to think stretch goals. Like I did not think for a second. I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Right. I, it's not going to happen. I, I just need this to fund. So yeah, um, yeah, Kickstarter is doing well enough. So now I know that the funding is coming through so I can actually get this printed. Um, and oh, I realized one thing I didn't mention about the deck is the namesake card, the name. Um, so the Netsy Vote being one concept in it, and I'll find it in a minute, is um, so the word et is a Hebrew word, it's two letters, it's Aleph and Tav, the first and the last letter of the Hebrew Aleph Bet. And um, years ago, uh, same teachers who brought me, introduced me to the concept of the Netivot, one of them, uh, Jill Hammer, Ya'ila, uh, did a little teaching and it's nerdy fun magic, which so I'm like, oh, exciting. Um, there's, a, there's a word in Hebrew that is basically untranslatable it's a grammatical tick, um, and it shows up everywhere, and it's it, all is tough. And it, the, it defines the object of a sentence, basically. It's really, like, we don't have this in English, except somebody explained it to me through Southern American dialect. Um, so people who say things like, this here cup, right? So you could just say this cup, but it's not this, it's this, here, this cup, this here cup. So it's this et cup. 
And the way Ge'ila explained it to us um, of teaching she had received is that that is the presence of Shina, the divine indwelling presence of, of God, of the divine, which is in Jewish teachings, feminine, female or femme, um, appearing and hiding everywhere in our text and our language. I was like, oh, that's cool. And then years, yeah, I was like, oh, wow. Okay. So everywhere she's hiding all through it uh, in plain sight, not even, not hiding really well. Like every third word is like this word. And then for some reason, I finally noticed, um, uh, because when Hebrew is written uh, in the Torah and in many contexts, there's no vowels uh, written with them, right? So there's these little dots and dashes that make up the vowels, but it's often written without. And I was looking at something and all of a sudden I went, I, I processed something I'd never seen before, which is there's another Hebrew word. There's several, but there's one other one in particular, Aleph Tav, different vowel sound. It's At. That is um, you in the feminine. So eight is a mystical teaching that that is the Shechina hiding in plain sight. Mm-hmm. The she is there. And then you have At, spelled exactly the same way with different vowels, which is you because uh, Hebrew is a gendered language. And it's something we say a lot in Jewish prayer. So it's common as a bracha, a blessing, right? Baruch Ata Adonai. Really common. It's the beginning of almost every blessing. Blessed are you. Ata is you masculine. In my communities, we do it in feminine God language. Rucha at. Shekhinah. I was like, wait a minute. So we both have the at and the et. And so that became this which is the beginning and the end and all the letters in the middle and creation there. So that became sort of the, the rest of the construct. And that's the, the last card of the deck. The 53rd card is an invitation into expansion uh, of mystery and interpretation uh, through this, this mystery of et and at. That's so interesting. I love that explanation, this here cup. <laughs> I know I'm a Yankee, but I was like, "Oh, that works! I get that." Like, okay, yeah, that totally yeah, that works. Totally makes sense. So, um, this is going to publish on the this coming Monday. Mm-hmm. So that will be. I want to make sure that we give the right dates for people to join in. So this will publish on the tenth. So, what is the last day of your Kickstarter? I. It is either July 21st or 22nd. So I launched it on the summer solstice. So, and it's a one month. So we'll still okay, have great. a couple of weeks. Yeah, which is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So when this airs, you will still have two weeks just about to jump on and help fund, well, the stretch goals now. <laughs> <laughs> or secure your own deck. Um, I'm not planning, even if there's more funding, to do a giant run of these. So. Uh, I'll figure out how many I'm actually printing, but there will be a few left over after. But my goal is to get them to everybody who supports the Kickstarter and then maybe have a few more to spare after that. Nice. Wonderful. Well, I'll, I will definitely be securing my deck. I'm I'm very excited to learn about it. I mean, I know nothing about it, but it's very exciting. <laughs> I like learning things. I like learning things. So we are at the point in the episode where I'd like to ask my guests to join or to join, to to share a spell, ritual, or recipe. Do you have something to share today? I do. I thought I would bring something that uh, is 
the most concise mashup or representation of all the, the parts that I tend to work with. So uh, it is a circle casting that I created for a ritual uh, over Zoom. Uh, that was a friend who was beginning a new phase in their life. And um, none of the other ones I've used, even over Zoom, I felt like would work. Like there were a lot of logistical other things, like nothing's going to work. So I had to come up with something new, which was great. Uh, and the only request that the friend had was a list of ancestresses that she wanted to have included. I was like, okay, okay, I can do this. Um, and for folks, if these... Um, I absolutely welcome folks if uh, these Jewish ancestresses, ancestral uh, beings are not speaking to you, replace them with, with your own, replace them with angels, with deities, with your own ancestral lineages, like whatever, whatever works for you. And so the way this works is we actually connect to the internet as magical energy. Um, I always invite people to actually place their hands on their keyboard or their mouse or something else so you can actually really connect in. And the word for electricity in Hebrew, in modern Hebrew, is chashmal, which is also um, the, the God stuff of, in Ezekiel's vision. And one of the books of the, of the Tanakh, it's an acid trip of a, of a text. And uh, I, I understand chashmal in the same way um, I might understand the, the fifth element of, of ether or ether, right? It is it is primordial whatever is that's all around us and so it's that same word for electricity so i love like being able to connect right in putting our hands mm -hmm. on the keyboards ah so we'll do a quick circle casting then a quick uncasting real fast um, okay. so as you put your hands through time and space since this is everyone in their own time listening to this which is cool as shit too so if you breathe in, place your hands on your keyboard or something else that connects you into the energy of Kashmal, of electricity and the internet. You breathe in and exhale. Visualize or imagine a circle of golden light enveloping us in a temporal mishkan, a temporal holy place, a sacred working place between worlds. And as we do this, we call to mind the memory, the spirits, and the special gifts of seven ancestresses to this place between the worlds to support the work that we do. And so for each, we say, Azkira, which means I call to mind, or you can just say, I call to mind. So, Azkira, Miriam, Hanevia, we call to mind the beat of your drum. Azkira Zipora, we call to mind your decisiveness. Azkira Tamar, we call to mind your resourcefulness. Azkira Devora, we call to mind your leadership. Azkira Esther, we call to mind your courage. Azkira Abigail, we call to mind your intelligence. Azkira Serach Bat Asher, we call to mind you, keeper of the bones, holder of sacred memory, wise woman out of time. Appear to us as you have to our ancestors in the moments when we must remember, be brave and journey into the unknown. You breathe in and exhale. We are connected above and below. 
We breathe in and exhale. We are connected before and beyond. We breathe in and exhale. We are connected here and now. And so people don't freak out that we've cast a circle and are not uncasting a circle. We thank Sarah, Bat Asher, Abigail, Esther, Devorah, Tamar, Zipporah, and Miriam Haneviah for their gifts and their guidance in this moment and future moments. And we breathe in and exhale to release the connection here and now. We breathe in and exhale and release the connection before and beyond. We breathe in and exhale to release the condition above and below. That was so wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. I I didn't even think about it is going to just be happening over and over and over. You <laughs> <laughs> just created <laughs> I love this. No, this internet, there's like this internal temporal loop that I, I'm actually kind of fascinated of what that, what happens if people are engaging with this in, in like pause, like pause, do some work and then come back and, uh, and undo. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I just got chills. That's so exciting. Um, do you want, do you want to share a card poll with us? Maybe from your dad. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, let's see. Let me take what's going on here. Oh, that's the wrong card. All right, I did shuffle. Let me do another quick shuffle. Let's see. One more. Ooh, okay. I'm going to, ooh, that's really silly to do with my own cards, but okay. So this card is the offering of the sova the shrine keeper and when you if you look at the image of the card you see well i'll tell you what's actually there whether you recognize it or not is um it is a photograph of an altar um there is a peacock fabric underneath a a very large copper bowl that takes up the whole center of it um and because this is a real bowl uh that I took a photo of that we had at an altar at, a, at many um, Kohenet events. Uh, the center of it is copper, and then there's a mirror mosaic in the bottom. And there's Hebrew that goes around the outside of the bowl, and the Hebrew is from the line in the Torah where we, we learn about the tzovot, which is plural of sova. Um, and they were the the women who served sacred service at the doorway of the tent of meaning. And in most translations, they're just called like servant women, which is absolutely mm -hmm. like a pathetic translation, frankly, um, mm -hmm. if, with the rest of it. And so they gave, they had sacred mirrors that they gave to the priests to, and they were made of copper or bronze, to turn into a washing bowl uh, for the priests. So this is a bit of a reclaiming of that ancient magic. And with the shrine keeper, it is, is, I love this because we just were talking about the temporal loop here is um, it's the offerings of shrine keeping, right? It's the priestess's priestess in a lot of ways. How do you tend and care for sacred space is what it's really asking you. What are the tools you use? What are the, the techniques you're using? 
how do you or how will you do that um, along the way? What a beautiful card. Thank you for sharing that. Um, do you have any last-minute thoughts that you'd like to share? Maybe um, any upcoming events or uh, things you're passionate about, anything like that? Sure. Um, so one thing, so on the passionate front, um, I one of the things that I am very passionate about, there's many, but is um, the unfortunate fight for bodily autonomy that we're having to have, again, in this, in this country and in many countries. And I believe that all fights for bodily autonomy are really the same fight in the end, um, whether you're coming in from the perspective of being queer, trans, or simply a cis woman fighting for bodily autonomy over our reproductive functions. Um, or anybody fighting for their reproductive autonomy. And so um, I have uh, an ongoing fundraiser I do. So um, some of the, the magic that I work is through uh, amulets and sticker amulets because I was a girl in the 1970s and 80s, in the early 80s. So I love stickers and now I make magic ones. So I have a couple of stickers in particular that are um, uh, fundraisers and the, the money goes to Jews uh, for abortion access. Uh, and the work that they do around rallying um, for abortion access for everyone. And so um, one is a, my own design and one was designed by my friend Becca Starr who donated her design to this. So there's one there. Um, upcoming events, um, I'm not a very social human, so I don't go out more than I have to. Um, but I do, um, I teach a Musar class, a free actually Musar class monthly online. So if anyone is remotely interested in what this practice looks like, I have plenty of writing on it, like you can find what that's all about. But I do offer um, a monthly practice session uh, and I have a couple of classes coming up later this year. So one is a 90 minute, a quick 90 minute workshop on um, the uses of Psalms in Jewish magic. Folks of all backgrounds are welcome. It's just, it's going to be taught from a Jewish frame uh, and that will be a 90 minute workshop. And then, Later in the fall, when the Jewish high holidays are over, because exhausting, um, I'm going to be doing a six-week deep dive into Musar as spiritual and magical practice. So that'll be a longer one. So I Wonderful. Those right there. And so are these, both of those, are they available? Um, do you have a link for them on your link tree? I do. Uh, actually, I don't have the, it will. By the time this, yes, I will shortly have both of these up. Um, I realized the okay. is I just posted them. So those aren't up there yet, but they are on my website at this point, um, devotosh.com in the shop part. Okay. And I will link um, all of that to... The new website, which will not actually launch until the following week. Ooh, congratulations. Thank you. I just decided I needed a new one. <laughs> As we do. As we do. Yeah. Yeah. So my, from the day that this airs, my new website will launch the following Monday. So I will link it there. Amazing. Congratulations again. Thank you very much. And thank you so much for joining me today on this, this in-between day, between the, the holiday and the weekend. It's true. It's true. It's <laughs> yeah. right in the middle of the third. Yeah. Third of July. It's a lovely, yeah. sad day. It is. It is. I was kind of, you know, I work for the federal government, so I was kind of hoping that they would do that thing where sometimes they just give you that in-between day off, but. 
not best luck. No, no. The government's not going to do it. They are not. Nope. It's a okay. bummer. I'm teleworking from my friend's house, so it's fine. <laughs> All right, wonderful. Well, thank you again. And um, I look forward to your your new deck, your relaunch of it coming out soon. I'm very excited, very excited. Amazing. Um, thank you so much for having me, Amberly. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And one of you know, I'm I'm just down the road. One of these days we'll have to get together for lunch or something. Definitely. That'd be awesome. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, we'll see you next time. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at the Hearth and Hedge, on my website, thehearthandhedge.com, or you can email me at thehearthandhedge at gmail.com. I also have a Patreon that can be found at patreon.com slash thehearthandhedge. If you like what you hear, consider leaving a review wherever you find your podcast.